little psychopath. Die, commie bimbo. Now, bud, I thought we talked about this before. What's that, Mom? You know, sneaking up behind your sister, pulling her hair, pretending to kill her. Yeah. <laughs> Dad, I feel great. Luke, you feel great? You left me alone in the store for three hours? You know I don't like that. Just too many feet. See, Al, there's your problem right there. If only you had gone to bed with that cute little blonde that was in this morning instead of me, you might feel a little better. I know I do. <laughs> you were making it with some broad for three hours while I was knee-deep in feet? <laughs> she was begging for it. They're all begging for it. Can somebody please help me? See, even she's begging for it. And she's going to wait a little longer. Hi, Mom. Dad, can I have $10? Who were you with today? Nobody. Does nobody have a name? You know, Tom, Dick, Cobra with a sore in his mouth? Oh, Daddy, it's not that kind of sore. He just fell asleep with a cigar in his mouth. Oh. <laughs> what? You gave some to Bud. You have to give to Kelly, too. Remember, Al, no favoritism. Peg, she's going out with a guy named after a snake. Look, his real name is Stanley. They only call him Cobra because he has one painted on his van. And you find this acceptable? I've met him, and he's a very nice boy. That's the love mobile now. Bye, Mom. Bye, Dad. Bye, honey. You know, another thing that, uh, you know, another thing that makes women such a blessing to us? It's like when you're sitting somewhere and they come over and they say to you, what are you thinking? And you start thinking, you know, if I wanted you to know, I'd be talking. <laughs> but you can't actually say that to them or else they'll kill you. And they're allowed to. See, it's this whole period, uh, PMS thing. I know, I'm not a doctor. But I think that PMS stands for pummel men's scrotums. <laughs> Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a whoop? No Man Presents, live from the Nudie Bar, the Married with Children Podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children podcast. This is Luigi. Hey, you. Get my shoes. Yes, ma'am. And today I'm joined by the lovely Annabelle. Annabelle is going to prove to us that uh, PMS stands for Pummel Men's Scrotums. <laughs> to the fans of the podcast, today is a special bonus episode that we put together for you. And we are reviewing the unaired pilot of Married with Children. Yeah, very special treat. I was about to say tweet. A very special treat for you all. Just, just the two of us. Just the two of us today, and we're going to review this as a special episode just for our most ardent fans. No, but yeah, we thought it'd be fun to review this, play along to the episode at your convenience, or we might upload this as an actual video commentary. But yeah, it's a, it's a different little bit of a new thing for us so we'll see how it goes uh if not just listen along let's uh introduce this episode so i guess i guess before we get started with the actual review of the episode we wanted to uh, give you a little bit of history so this episode originally 
was taped on December 12th of 1986, according to the old Bundyology page. Annabelle actually transcribed this on her website uh, around that time, around 2003. Uh, And I remember coming across this on her website back then, and that was almost 19 years ago. So thanks, Annabelle, for that. Oh, you're welcome. And by the way, I've just found the info on Bundyology about the original pilot. Yes. Episode stars Ed O'Neill as Al Bundy, Katie Segal as Peggy Bundy, David Garrison as Steve Rhodes, Amanda Burse as Marcy Rhodes, Tina Caspery as Kelly Bundy, Hunter Carson as Bud Bundy, Mike the Dog as Buck. It also stars Rich Scheidner as Luke Ventura, not as a guest star. And guest starring... Diana Bellamy as customer number one, Sue Ann Gilfillan as customer number two, Linda Donna as Tawny, and Victor DiMattia as Arnold. So, Annabelle, uh, you want to tell us uh, maybe some more factoids about this? Yes. Yeah, so, for those who were around on the internet in you know those late nineties, early noughties years may be able to help me shed some light but uh this original pilot appeared one day out of the blue well that's what it seemed like to me as someone in australia but i think someone started posting about it on the old newsnet group on alt.tv.mwc but i saw it listed on ebay and i want to say it was 2002 so it was around the time if not a bit later, after the final episode of Married to Children aired. And by final, I mean, I'll see you in court. And that aired on FX. So I think once FX became a thing, uh, interest had picked up, interest in Married to Children had picked up again. And so we started to see more and more items crop up on eBay. I have no idea where this original tape came from, but I when my first... Uh, I was first alerted to it by eBay. So somebody had put it on eBay. It was, I think it was uh, the same user who had some other rare items. But it went like hotcakes. Whether he had a couple of different copies, I'm not sure. But somebody snapped it up. And then other versions, other copies started to appear on eBay. And then back in the early days of the internet uh, with um, peer-to-peer sharing and all that, if you guys remember Emule and LimeWire and also the uh, IRC channel, Marital Children channels, and just uh, other and TV channels in general, someone had ripped it, encoded it, put it online uh, in various degrees of quality in different files, but eventually it got out there. And this is, and it's from those videotapes that we that you now see clips from on YouTube. They pop up every so often in different formations. And eventually came over to me. I downloaded it probably at a very slow speed. But we had it. We watched it. And we went, oh, my God. This is amazing in every aspect of the word. And and then I realized that for those who, who couldn't see it or find it or buy it. See, this is back in the days when I used to do a lot of tape trading as well. So that did help. But having the actual file was a huge help because I I live in Australia. It's a different videotape format than America. But through all the friends, the network of married children fans and friends that I had and have, I was able to get myself a really good copy 
it wasn't that great quality in picture quality wise, but to have the episode itself was um, a thing in and of itself. And so then I was able to transcribe it. And a friend of mine in Sweden, whose name, he goes by Zyphirix, he's, he's still around, he's still a Facebook friend today. He and I put it together and he took it upon himself to just highlight the differences between both scripts and, and, and I fixed it up and I put it on my website. So what was that about? 2003. So early mid 2003 it was then put on my website for those people who couldn't find the video anywhere and wanted to see what was different or just just check it out and just purely for interest so there was this renewed interest in the show briefly it just sort of peaked and also at the beginning of 2003 was the married children reunion special that aired on fox in i think just after valentine's day february 16th on 2003 on fox so again, there was more interest in the show because I actually had a tracker on my website at that time and it it went, it jumped about 300% or something crazy. It's just amazing. So every time something in, and we see it today, just recently and this year in particular, the last couple of months, if there's interest in Married to Children, if something happens, people get wind of it and the show's popularity increases again. So I've been trying to think of something to to do or perhaps I don't know, celebrate the show in some way. And then I thought, okay, we could do something like this and bring it all the way back to the start, to literally the start. So even today, 20 years later, after that tape was found on the internet, here we are talking about it in an entirely different platform, albeit very similarly. So that's how I got wind of it. That's probably how you guys got uh, wind of it as well it started appearing on youtube and that became a thing in 2005 when people could upload things i mean nowadays you can find it well if you look if you look hard enough you can find it wherever it, it does get taken down so maybe you just might see the opening scene or the scene with the original kids here and there but if you haven't seen the whole thing we'll, we'll do our best to provide it to you so it's quite a long-winded way of explaining that i i saw this about 20 years ago and here we are talking about it today well, thank you, Annabelle. And, you know, from a personal note, as I said to Annabelle, I found out about this via Bundiology that it was available. And uh, I remember actually reading the transcript that Annabelle had put together back then 20 years ago. So I've been a fan of Annabelle since uh, back then. I'm also, I think of all the podcast hosts as we've been talking, and I've mentioned this many times, like I'm an original fan in the sense that I watch the the premiere of Married with Children back in April of 1987. And I watched it all in sequence, week by week. Chicago Shoe Exchange, as we talked about in the review of that episode, was the last episode that was aired. And we thought that that was it until June 18th of 2002, when I'll See You in Court finally aired in the U.S. And I think at that point I had seen it on the DVDs. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it might have been on one of the DVDs, maybe like the most outrageous episodes. Yes, uh, I think that's what they used as a selling point. Right. So I, I, I feel like I did see that, but because I was uh, pedantic, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to get that <laughs> word right, Annabelle, any, any, any of these days, I had to watch it on broadcast television. So <laughs> I remember planting myself in my parents' living room on June 18th of 2002 and watching I'll See You in Court. So this one was the last one that I had not seen. And I finally saw this 
on some platform, I think it's probably the late 2000s, uh, on broadband, I, I, I streamed it and I, I was finally able to watch it, but I already knew what to expect because of Annabelle. So thank you very much for that, Annabelle. And I'm sure there's a lot of fans, uh, super fans out there like myself, uh, who first were introduced to this from your hard work back then. So let's get started and we will stream the episode and review it uh, for all of you. All right, so we got the the well, it's pretty standard season one to three credits with the the extra shots. Right. I'm just leaving the music up because yeah. if you watch the end of the opening credits, the right. the music is a little different. But what you notice here is the names. Right, so we see Rich's name. Mm-hmm. As a star. Before the kids. Right now with the kids, Hunter Carson and Tina Caspery, and now we see Credited Hunter Carson together. Yep. And we see the kids, alternate kids, <laughs> coming down doing the exact same opening scene. Mm-hmm. So they would have had to... F they filmed all... refilmed all of this. Now, what's interesting as this ends, as one, uh, the Buck's getting his dollar, is that uh, instead of having the, the sound of it's almost like the jail cell, like, you know, the, the bar's mm -hmm. closing, it's just the repeat. Here is uh, Tina and Hunter as Kelly and Bud. Same opening lines, but this shot of Peg is what you see in the pilot that we all know and love. Correct. So Peg, all Peg's talking scenes here, except for that opening shot of her with her <laughs> with her legs at the dinner table. That was reshot, but here we've got her talking to the kids. What we know is she's talking to Christina and David, but here it's played exactly the same. So she's actually talking to these two. And it's very odd to see a brunette Kelly and a blonde bud. That's right. And usually, you know, the trope is always about the dumb blonde. So I can understand one of the reasons why there was that change. And now Al's mm. holding the cactus and all of this is identical to the aired pilot. I mean, no change in dialogue. There's nothing different here. No. So I guess that does show how strong it was out of the box, except for this <laughs> one crucial element of, of the children. And one of the things uh, you know, I said to Annabelle, I guess just before we get started, you can sort of tell, like, I think especially, I'd say the two differences in terms of the kids' deliveries is that David Faustino's look is much more diabolical. He has more of a Spawn of Satan type of look to him. And I would say that uh, uh, Christina Applegate was much more sarcastic in the delivery of her lines than Tina Caspery. So I think I can sort of see why the decision was made. I mean, not to say that, you know, Hunter and Tina did a bad job. It's just, I guess, the way they just did, did their delivery, right? 
yeah, I mean, they clearly saw something that wasn't working, and they, we know, hundred percent, they made the right choice in, in changing them out. But a little hard to tell at this stage. Uh, but I gotta say, Bud Bunny has a cousin Oliver thing going on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I thought that myself actually as I was reviewing this. And, and in, in hindsight, Cousin Oliver just reminds us of Seven. So I, I think that's sort of hindsight has tinged that a little bit of... <laughs> right. Yeah, choose your own word. But it makes you wonder, like, again, like in an alternate universe, like how would the show have developed if they had kept the original kids? A real yeah. sliding doors moment. Right. <laughs> Al mentions Juice. So that would become a, a running gag for the episode, at least. And also, Ed O'Neill's delivery of the character of Al Bundy has a bit of a Chicago accent to it. And he did that uh, through about halfway through season one. So, yeah, it's pretty much. He wanted to set it. It's like, okay, like, you know, when he says, okay, it's more of a uh, that. So, anyway, here we are in the shoe store. The fabulous Diana Bellamy. And this scene is identical, not reshot. It's only when Luke comes in that then the scenes were redone. And I'm just curious if the scenes were redone at the time or if they were redone. Because technically it's not like Rich needed to be there for the Luke character because he's not interacting with the kids. So I just wonder if that was an alternate take and that's what they used. I think they were redone later because if I'm not mistaken, the girl playing Tawny, or Tawny, the character, is wearing a different coloured shirt the top. Yeah. I'll be reminded when she comes in, but uh, yeah. perhaps, well, I don't think we asked Rich this, but I think perhaps when they recast the kids, they then reshot other things. So I'm not clear on that exact timeline. Right. Line of the show just then. Okay, so here, so here's Rich Scheidner as Luke Ventura. So they cut to scene of Al, and now this is a completely different scene with completely different dialogue. Yeah, I feel like this particular scene may have been done at the time. I'm not sure. I guess the key really is maybe looking at Ed O'Neill's hair. Yeah. Yeah, they did pretty well in this one. I think when you know, you know. The, the continuity is usually pretty good. I, I say that as someone who doesn't like sitcom continuity. But the, the lady, the woman customer in the chair behind them, she has more to do as well. And here's Tawny. Yeah. You're right. And she is wearing a completely different outfit, correct? Yeah. This is green. I think she's wearing blue in the pilot, we know. Correct. And it was a real treat to interview Rich. So um, it's great mm. to see him here. But it's also one of the things where what might have been had his character been more developed and more integral part of the show. Like, would he have been a no-man type of guy? You know, or no man have taken a different um, direction. Size four? Yes, how did you know? Oh, women are fours. I know you've heard this before. 
but you've got the feet of a movie star. Really? Interesting they changed all women are fours to all women are sevens. Sevens, correct, yeah. Now, you know, when Rich talks about, you know, invites Al to the basketball game, they do it in the storeroom instead of doing it out in front, in front of Tawny. Yeah. That's a major change right there. I guess it, they felt that it wasn't needed, this little alcove. But then we don't have that. that. The end to the scene, I think, was improved a little better with the, hey, you, get my shoes. Absolutely. I was saying, no woman tells me what to do. Pretty much yeah. sets him up for the rest of the episode. Right. And this is all the same now with Peg. But, you know, I remember in a behind the scenes, uh, what well, was like an interview for the producers. Mel Brooks talked about, you know, making of the producers. And uh, one of the things I learned in that is that he was a drummer. And I was a drummer as well. You know, I, I learned that as a kid. And everything is about timing. So I can sort of see, like, to your point about, you know, hey, hey, you get my shoes. It's like that. It's almost like puts a great period to that scene, right? Yes. So with Al and Rich sort of saying, ah, like that doesn't really like sort of end it very well. And give you like the flow. So that I think was a very good change that they made for the actual pilot. I got a little surprise for you. I'm going to the ball game tonight. You're not going to the game tonight. Sure I am. See, let me explain something to you. I work all day. And when somebody works all day, they need to have some fun at night. Now, I don't actually expect you to understand any of this, but trust me, I'm your husband. I know best. Well, isn't staying home with me fun? So these scenes are all the same, of course, but if you need a visual clue... Of what was reshot, what wasn't. Maybe look at the plants. There's a lot of plants in this episode. That's right. I mean, there's actually food in the refrigerator. There are plants. <laughs> and there seems to actually just be a lot more stuff in the house compared to yeah. the, what, what we're used to seeing later. Even by season two, a lot of that had started to disappear. Like Peg Bundy's so lazy, when is she going to water plants? Exactly. They are new in the neighborhood. They must have been new. They eventually died. We have lived here for 15 years and we have no friends. I mean, we assume that they've lived in the house for 15 years, right? So how is it the plants lived for the first 15 years and then they died by in this in year 16, right? She keeps it cold in the house. <laughs> Yeah, and, and when we interviewed Michael Moy, he said that uh, his father had invented the hand in the pants. I know there's been some disputes. It's like I think um, Ed O'Neill in one interview said that he sort of came up with it, but Moy said that his father had done that. I, I tend to think that Moy would do it. Like, I mean, I, I think, you know, again, through, through passage of time, people probably forgot but uh, I, I don't think Al is a, uh, excuse me, Ed O'Neill as a dramatic actor would, you know, come up with a visual cue on his own, you know, especially on a pilot. No, I don't think, so. not, not on a pilot. He has said it's kind of a resting place. 
Pharrell's hand, but I think that's his explanation for it after it's been developed. Yeah, and one thing with the unaired pilot is you will have that sort of the the, the logo of Married with Children in between, right? I don't know if that's mm, what was intended. The, the bumper. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if that was anticipated to be part of the show when it, um, like, that was their idea of what would happen to separate scenes. Acts, I guess, was that right? The separating yes. the acts? Yep. <laughs> So this is all original, uh, as, as we know it, and it's about to change. What? Who's this? Okay. Dad, can I have five dollars? You know, but when I was a kid, I had to earn my money. Did you ever once think about... To me, I think, like, when you focus on Hunter Carson's eyes, compare them to David Faustino. And then I think, like, that to me is the magic. Like I said, the spawn of Satan look. It's interesting you say that. Even Michael Moy said that, that Faustino had the, the eyes of evil. <laughs> it's not that this kid is bad. He's, he's, he's rushing his lines a little bit. But yeah. it just doesn't fit to me. All right. And here's Tina. Let me tell you, I love her hair. <laughs> Annabelle knows I have a bit of hair envy, so. <laughs> it's because we have it and they don't, and they envy us for it. <laughs> Look at her Tina's pose, right? I mean, like, that is like, it's actually a great pose that she has. It's like, you know, she's wanting to get her money. But again, I think she really lacks Christina's sarcasm. Because that's definitely like in, like in other words, it's like she's a little too bubbly and bouncy. Yeah, uh, and, and you need more like biting sarcasm for it to work. Yeah, it's, she doesn't seem like a Bundy. I mean, superficially and 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 like you say, I got to say for mid eighties, um, I like her outfit and her style and the way she was standing waiting for money just now, yeah. um, and her hair too, Luigi. Yep. But yeah, it's not it's not the Kelly we know and love. Actually, I guess from this point forward, it's the exact same episode. Except for uh, a couple, a couple, a couple of, of crucial lines. <laughs> I guess as we're getting there, I know that uh, when Christina Applegate's been on certain interviews and they ask her about married with children, one thing she seems to remember which no one seems to get because I don't think that they're, you know, rabid super fans like us is she mentions that PMS stands for pummel men's scrotums. And that is actually what Christina would have read in the script yes. that was given to her. Cause she said that she and her mother read over the script and they were just laughing their asses off, but that's what ended up getting cut. So, I mean, her yeah. memory is correct. It's just that, Unless you are a rabid superfan who have seen the unaired pilot, you wouldn't know that. Correct. And I think that was talked about by Christina and the cast on... If you've seen the, the reunion special I mentioned, if you look at the Easter eggs that are available on the season one and two and three DVDs, they talk about it there. That was ironically cut from the reunion special. 
helps around the house. Way to go, Steve. <laughs> I've got to say, this is my favorite scene of the pilot with the, the four adults together. As I've talked about, sort of like my analysis of the show, typically in a sitcom, you have good main characters who try to make people around them good or better than they are. And I recognized this early on. You know, as I've said, I, I wasn't yet nine years old. I was a few months shy of nine the first time I saw this. And I'd watched a lot of television at that point. So now to have the, these main characters who are very flawed, who actually take these two characters, Steve and Marcy, and actually bring them down. Like, in other words, they make them worse people. <laughs> I sort of caught on to that very quickly. It's like, hey, this is what makes this funny. Yeah. You know, because it's like they come in all lovey-dovey and they leave, you know, ready to have a fight with each other. Right? Yeah, they arrive in, in, in harmony and leave in, well, disharmony. <laughs> in disharmony, right. And usually in sitcoms, it was the opposite. Usually it'd be like, you know, you'd have the, the next-door neighbors come over fighting over something and... The main characters would moralize with them, and then all of a sudden they're leaving all lovey-dovey kissing, right? So we have the exact opposite happening here. Happening here, And that, to me, is what's brilliant about the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and again, you know, we just finished reviewing season 11, and we talked about, you know, the cartoon aspect of it. I mean, this is very realistic. You know, this is... You know, I mean, you could see this actually happening, right? And here it is, you know, a man who's been married 15 years and he's giving his advice to the newlywed because this is what he's seen in his 15-year tour of duty, quote-unquote. <laughs> That's a new shot. So now we find out about PMS. But I think that PMS stands for... Big laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and look at look at David Garrison's expression, right? <laughs> oh, priceless. I mean, Peg mentions PMS at the end of this scene uh, in the kitchen, right? And that's funny on its own. But when I saw this or, or uh, read it first, <laughs> I think, um, and I s saw this, and I was oh. Wow, so it's a callback as well. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and that's why, like, and I wonder why that was cut. I mean, like, on its own. Mm, you, censored, you would, like, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But, but the thing is, like, the punch of her, yes, when, when Peg says, you, do you have PMS? It's like, no, get it. Like, I mean, that, <laughs> that, make, that, that would have made that, I mean, a belly laugh for, you know, again, even a TV viewer, but never mind the studio audience. Well, I'd say it'd probably make a belly, a belly laugh for everyone instead of just for women, ha! Because at this point, it, for, if you just watch the pilot as aired, Peg's version. So all the women are like, oh, yeah, 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 totally, totally, totally get that. But if we had that as a callback, everyone would, I think that would have got an even broader laugh. Right. But I did also like Al's line after that that was cut out. 
calling back to the to the juice. Does your wife buy you juice, Steve? I used to love sports. Of course you did. You're a man. But Steve, you can love it again. Start with me right now, Steve. And that's why I say, you know, that to me is the brilliance of the show. I mean, look, I mean, it's a sitcom. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there. It's like, oh, like, you're obsessed with a sitcom and, like, you know, these are, like, crude jokes. But to me, it's it's appreciating comedy, you know, and, again, and appreciating that comedic form. And what I always say, it's like trying to get someone who has grown up in a, like, watching television and watching this type of media, like, today, like, again, a 16-year-old today. They're not going to appreciate this form as much because, like, you know, coming... You know, from if you lived at that time and knew what was on television, <laughs> the two of them, Steve's got both hands down his pants, right? <laughs> and again, that's the reason why I don't think I think Ed O'Neill sort of remembered it wrong. I, this to me is this came from the from the from the directors. Yeah. I mean, that to me is that's the proof is David Garrison having his hands both hands down his pants. And that got a huge laugh too when Al, Al did it. I mean, watching yeah. it with the sound off, you can you can see how long Marcy's holding her next line. And now Marcy's twitching her leg the way Peg's twitching it. So again, you know, they're they are rubbing off in a bad way <laughs> with the, to the next door neighbors. <laughs> I said, brilliant. I'm going to the game next week with Al. My mother's coming over next week. Again, just with the, <laughs> I'm just sort of taking note of outfits slightly more closely than perhaps I would have before but you see how Peg's dress and Marcy's dress in this more demure outfit but she's wearing a lighter shade of pink Peg's wearing quite a uh, like a hot pink right. ensemble and Marcy's sort of a, a lighter version of that right like a very conservative dress she almost looks like uh almost looks like a Mormon dress I would say mm. no cleavage like you know all like you know put up no. Like all covered up, demure. Below the knee and <laughs> Yep, yep. Al, I'll see you next week at the game. Whereas we know how wild Marcy can get in her private life. Yep. Although we're not introduced to that just yet. No, but there they leave. Not arm and arm. There's two plants back there. Three. I just love Peg's logic. It's like if she makes really crappy coffee, right? <laughs> Al's never going to take her out. So here, here we go. <laughs> Let's go out. <laughs> it worked. She got her way. Like it there. They have such a nice menu. Yeah. You want to go upstairs? But you wanted to yeah, and this is interesting. I mean, one of the few times that actually Al wants to have sex with Peggy. Mm. I thought it was actually uh, very cute how like he grabs her butt on the way up. You know, like yep. Here we go. <laughs> 
And that's it. Yeah, this is the one producer credit at the end there. Because we got the rest of it at the start. And that was the unaired pilot of Married with Children. Oh, that was fun. Yeah, sorry we don't have any end credits for you, but I don't think anything changed there. That's probably the first time I've watched it in full for a while. And I don't know if it's just watching it after however long it's been, or I'm watching it with another person and that other person is another super fan. But I've got to say I enjoyed it even more. I enjoyed it to begin with because the first time you watch something like this, it's very entertaining but jarring because it's, it's, it's different and there are things in there you don't necessarily expect and you notice different things and these, these random kids that aren't familiar are, well, jarring was the word I, I, I used back then. But yeah, no, I enjoyed that, watching that just now, and I, I have enjoyed it more subsequently each time I've watched it since the first time. Because once you get used to it and you, and you have people to answer to on the internet, like what happened here, what's this, what's that. But if you just sit down and watch it, it's actually very, it's a strong pilot to begin with. I can see why they changed the kids, but it's not like it was an obvious any real obvious single reason that they had to change the kids, but they clearly saw something that wasn't working and we know they made the right decision. I don't think that Bud works. He looks a bit older. He doesn't really look like any of the others. It's just interesting to watch. And, and the scenes that the lines that were cut, whether for censorship or for other reasons or refilmed, like in the shoe store, the, the shoe store scenes, they're fine. I think they were right to change the the end joke that we discussed there for in the shoe store scene and and refilm that a little bit. No idea why they changed the color of Tawny's top. Maybe they just wanted something different or a plain like a one block plain color. But the the PMS line that is gold and that is I'm sad that's that's gone. Other than that, the the episode's very strong and fun to watch. It might have been cut for for time as well because the the runtime on that is um well without credits it's it's over 23 minutes yeah 23 28 we'll call it 23 20 plus say another 30 seconds for credits so it's almost 24 minutes the shows were that long back then like you say it'd be interesting to see how the show would have developed if they hadn't made these changes and we can speculate until the cows come home what are your initial thoughts having just watched that? Well, the dialogue for the kids doesn't change much, except for the Kelly scene where she talks about Cobra, and Al says that he's named after a snake versus named after a reptile, right? From what I understand, I think that was a little bit of censorship. That's what I think I've sort of come across in the past. Uh, but I'd say the main difference really is the Rich character because, first of all, Rich Scheidner as Luke Ventura gets first billing you know, as if he was a star on the show. So his dialogue is significantly different. And, I mean, he does come across actually as an even more sleazier character in the unaired pilot. Just for example, he says, you know, women aren't that strong. You know, me, I'm just going to degrade her and toss her out in the street. They can take that. It, it, it really, mm. it's, it's much stronger sentiment than like when he just says like, you know, he's biologically in bed with some broad, right? And it's much more quicker and snappier in the actual pilot. 
The other thing with Tawny about the change in wardrobe, do you think maybe it was just because they, they needed to reshoot it and they couldn't find her original top in wardrobe? I mean, it could be that it's, too. It's quite possible. It was <laughs> just as simple as that. Yeah. But I agree about Luke, though. He does, he, he comes off even sleazier in the original pilot. And so Rich did allude this to this in his interview. See, uh, I would love to go back and again and ask Michael Moy, was it in in the time between the kids being recast and reshot, they looked at the, the Luke character and thought, oh, we're going to scale his character back. That means taking him out of the opening credits, giving him different lines, perhaps even fewer lines, and then phasing out his character after a grand total of seven episodes, of which he was in four. So... I, I don't know what the thought process is there. Completely forgot what else I was going to say. Oh, yes, you'll notice if you go back and look at the very first cast photo with the actual kids, I'll, I say actual kids as opposed to original kids, but the, the real proper actual kids and Al Pegg, Stephen Marcy, they've got Luke in the photo as well. So he did start off as a main if uh, supplementary character, but at some point, during season one, they were th they thought, okay, he's not working out. We might have to phase him out. But I'm wondering if that happened during the pilot. Right. Because, I mean, uh, Rich appeared in Thinergy. Then he appeared in 16 Years and What You Get. And then finally, Al loses his cherry. Yes. And those first three episodes were filmed consecutively. Then there was a gap. Then he got brought back for his, his big episode. Now, one, one question I have for you, Annabelle, is why did we go from a size four to a size seven? All women are sevens. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sizing is different in America to Australia, so I can only guess that uh, four is extremely small and perhaps too extreme. But I think in the way Al delivers the line, all women are sevens, and that sort of resigned tone, maybe the seven just worked better verbally and comically instead of four i don't know Is a short answer the one thing that i think was better in terms of luke's delivery in the pilot as opposed to the unaired pilot was he says to tony i know you've heard this before but you got the feet of a movie star is what he says is the unaired pilot and in the pilot it's the instep of a movie star <laughs> so i thought that's much more clever yeah uh, it's, yes. it's much more smooth line the way it's delivered I actually appreciate the change better as someone who dances. <laughs> so dance is all about, you know, if you have lovely feet, you've got nice feet, then uh, that's something a dancer would be very envious of. And part of that is your if you've got high arches and your instep is also quite high. So if you say to someone you've got the instep of a movie star, say this girl is a dancer, she'd be like, oh, my God. So I understand her when she leans forward. She's like, really? But feet <laughs> just sounds a bit, not common, but like, it's not, it's not as not as clever as in step. Right. And again, that all has to do with the, um, again, like I said, the polishing of it. Like I, I can see like with an unaired pilot, like how you want to polish it. But like I, st I still feel like there were chunks of gold in the unaired pilot because to me it's like you're going back to what the writers originally wanted. I mean, it's Moy Levitt in this case. And uh, like again, you know, the, the PMS line I think is just, is just pure gold. Uh, I just say it was so memorable. I mean, just think of like Christina. What is this? Thirty-five years later, she remembers that line. 
By the way, you're not supposed to know the answers to any of these questions. <laughs> I know think. some. Okay. Okay, I have one for you. Okay, uh -oh. here we go. I don't know if this ever ended up in the pilot, but Al Bundy says to Steve Rhodes, do you know what PMS stands for? Do you know? Uh, Chris Law. What, what, the, what the line is? or What does it stand for? What the line was. We're he not says, asking. No, he says to him, you know, Steve, you know what PMS stands for? I don't know this one. Yeah, this is a little, little known fact. What is it? Because I think it got cut out of the pilot because <laughs> it was too risque. Mm -hmm. It's okay on this show, right? Go I'm not going to cuss. Go for it. Pummel men's scrotums. <laughs> <laughs> and you're welcome. <laughs> you know? Like, I mean, it, it, I mean, again, to a 15 year old kid, it's like she remembers that line. It's like, it's just, it's like, how, like, wow. Like, it, that made, that gave her, I guess, a belly laugh and it just stayed with her. Um, so it's just a shame that that was cut from that scene. Yeah. To remember something that wasn't even aired <laughs> on TV. Right. So well. But, you I know, mean, a li li like the Osbournes, I remember that one great line where you yeah, said, Al, what are amazing. you thinking? What are you thinking? And they wrote, again. Peg, if, no. if I wanted you to know what I was thinking, I'd be talking. Yeah, if I wanted you to know, I'd be talking. <laughs> and that was yeah. a great, that sort of. What about the yeah. whole, what was it? What does PMS stand for? Pummel men's scrotums? They took it out. They took it out, but, pilot. you know. Didn't they put that's it back? That's what it was. They put it back. For uh, what, a rerun or something? For a rerun, probably, yeah. That's I think PMS thing. stands for Pummel Men's Scrotums. I still use that to this day. Oh, they were funny, those guys. Yeah, it's quite extraordinary. You know, but I mean, but closing out the scene with uh, Luke, again, like, uh, as I said, you, the timing, like having a period to that scene, you know, Al says, well, well, Luke goes, says, you sure you, your wife will let you go? He says, I'd like to see her try to stop me, right? And they go, ah, mm. it looks like they're punching each, you know, like a fake punch. Yeah. Like that doesn't have the same punch. And, you know, when instead it's the woman says, is like, hey, you get my shoes, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> After Al saying, no woman tells Al Bundy what to do. Hey, you. <laughs> right. And then we cut back to the couch monster at home. Yes. Exactly. If you look at Annabelle's script comparison, most of the dialogue with the kids, it's just literally a couple of difference in syntax. It's like Bud says, Joey's father is waiting for me outside, as opposed to the pilot, which says, Joey's dad's waiting for me outside. You know, father versus dad. You know, again, that's more natural language. Mm. Yes. You know, so again, very, very minor things. And the other thing I would say is the way Tina Caspery's line was said was, this is, that's the love mobile now. Mm. And, you know, we, we don't hear the dun, 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 right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is from Dragnet, right? Yep. Yeah, they cut out the love mobile line. In the in the retooling, I think because <laughs> the actresses are probably is because they were fifteen, so or barely fifteen, I should say. So that that might have been a a censor or a you know just common decency, right? Which I can understand that one. It's like in other words, it's this yeah. is the uh, it's the love mobile. But the thing is, the word love though is in Christina's line was. That's his horn, isn't it great? I guess that's why I fell in love with him. Like, in other words, falling in love with someone, delivering that as opposed to saying, that's the love, I'm going into the love mobile. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it doesn't come off as strong because, again, she's 15 years old. <laughs> yeah, it's slightly more sinister. <laughs> exactly. 
And then again, the only other difference, I mean, I guess after that point really is major difference is that PMS line. Which, uh, you know, decide among yourselves if that makes Peg's PMS line funnier or not. Um, I think it does give it extra punch. <laughs> uh, I think what sells it even more is, is they took a shot of Steve's reaction to Al's <laughs> line. And just the, he's trying to process all this information. And Al just asks <laughs> him if Marcy gets some juice. Um, I, just, I mean, the, the, whole, the whole scene with, like I said, while we're watching it with the four adults, with Alpex, even Marcy, it just works so beautifully. And, and it is the, the fulcrum of the episode and the, the show itself, I suppose, <laughs> to have this newlywed couple meet the not so newlywed couple. Because we, we see that in the pilot, we see that in Thinergy too, to the point where uh, Steve says a line very similarly. Here he says, I used to love sports. And he knows in Thinergy he says, I used to love smut in the same <laughs> tone. Exactly. That was definitely reminiscent for me when you hear that line, then you, you're familiar with Thinergy and it's like, ah, okay, I, I can see where they're going with this, right? And again, like to me, it's mm -hmm. like, there's that famous uh, graphic of it's like the ascent of man. It's like sort of the caveman and like eventually he gets upright, <laughs> you, you know? And to me, yes. this is, you know, the whole point of married with children. And if you think about it, I, I think I once said this, it's like, to me, the main character, if you look at the early seasons of married with children is really Steve, you know, I, I'm sure yeah. uh, Jerry would love to hear this, but <laughs> it's like yeah. it, it's it's yeah. it's the descent of man. You know, here he yeah. is, like this ideal character who walks in the door uh, in the pilot episode, yeah. and gradually he's brought down to you know becoming the uh, the caveman. You know, like uh, <laughs> he devolves. He doesn't even De yeah correct. Yeah. He devolves, and that to me is the genius of this because in every single sitcom that you've seen through the years, there's always, even like, let's take something like All in the Family. Take Archie Bunker in season one. By the time that, you know, you finished with the character of Archie Bunker, he has evolved. You know, he's no mm -hmm. longer, you know, spewing, like using like racist language. He's a lot more understanding of others, right? Here, we took, we took it and actually completely flipped it. I mean, Al Bundy yes. is Al Bundy. He doesn't change. You know, he's almost, he centers everyone because he has his morals and he has his view of life. And here he takes the Steve Rhodes character and devolves him. Yeah, and that to me is the genius of the show. And that to me, again, as an impressionable, you know, not quite nine-year-old, this is what I, I found brilliant about this. And this is what made me a fan in 1987. You were a deviant eight-year-old. A deviant, a very uh, <laughs> degenerate, according to Rich Scheidman. Degenerate, sorry, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but that to me is is the beauty of it. I mean, like, I, people say to me, it's like, how? why are you a fan of this show? How can you still be a fan of this show after all these years? And to really appreciate, like, like to me, what it is saying is I just appreciate the fact of, like, how they constructed it. And just the lines. And I'd say, you know, growing up now, <laughs> I mean, from a kid, now I have child that age, right? And now being an adult and having mm -hmm. gone through marriage, having gone through having kids, it sort of hits close to home. And, 
you know, I have my Al Bundy moments where it's like, I mean, the kids are thrusting their hands in front of me and they want money. And, you know, you have like your rough day and like all of a sudden I can think back. It's like, wow, it's like Al went through the exact same thing. I mean, this fictional character who really hits close to home. And, and you know, and Michael Moy really said it very well. You empathize with him. You know, you can empathize with the characters because they're real at this stage of the game. Yes. At the beginning. I mean, it's funny, like, you know, we just finished talking. We spent the season talking about the end of the show. So here we are. We've gone, you know, right back to the beginning, to just before the beginning. And we're talking about what makes this show special and the fact that you can empathize with them. You can see yourself in that at almost any age. You can see yourself as Bud. You can see yourself as Kelly at a certain stage, right? You can see yourself as Peg. But but that to me is the brilliance of it. it it's the it's the d- devolution of the character. If I had to write a thesis on it, I would I, I would actually focus on the Steve Rhodes character. Yes, I I think that's a very good point, and it's also a very good point when people bring up the Steve versus Jefferson debate, which I, I personally hate. People are like, oh, I I don't like Steve as much as I like Jefferson. I might well, go back and watch the first few seasons of the show and actually watch it, especially from the pilot. And then, you know, watch this if you can. So let me ask you something. Now that your sons are the age that you were when you watched the show, have they, A, watched the show, or B, and did they like it or, or at all, <laughs> or B, would they like it or or even appreciate it to, in, in any scale similarly to to you at that age? With my younger son, I had to be very selective in the episode. I mean, I tried to avoid some of the sexual ones, partly because I don't think he would understand them. I mean, he did think it was funny, but again, and I've talked about this before. Like, I I know we talked about it when we talked about uh, the animated series. Mm. It's kind of hard for me to have, like, again, if I got a child who was nine years old and planted them in front of the TV and watched season one of Married with Children... It's kind of hard for them to get the comedy because they did not, they're not aware of the comedy that I saw from like ages five through nine. And, you know, watching things like The Honeymooners, watching things like All in the Family and Good Times and The Jeffersons and all of those 80s sitcoms that I watched. You know, like, I mean, I think that. You would not appreciate, I don't think that a, a child who was not exposed to that kind of stuff could appreciate seeing this at that age. In other words, if you tried to do it with someone who was the age I was at when I watched it, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. It's difficult. And I think that as someone gets older, I could see a teenager sort of appreciating it more. But again, you have to be knowledgeable of the comedy that came before it to appreciate what it is and what, you know, what it became because otherwise you've lost the frame of reference. And this is why, you know, if you think back, like, let's say you watch like some of the comedy of the 1930s, you know, when they make cultural references to things from in their perspective, 30 years in the past, like, you know, comedy of 1900. I mean, it's, it's almost alien or foreign to us, right? Mm. So it, it's hard for you to get that because, again, you know, as what we've seen with Married with Children and, and in an interview with Michael Moy, he talked about he tried, he said he, he, they tried not to be very topical 
about, you know, talking about Watergate. Remember, he said it's like people think Watergate was a battle in the Civil War nowadays. He's, <laughs> he's, he's right. And it's the same thing holds true. I mean, I think that as he exited the show, especially in the final seasons we saw, there was a lot of cultural references. And, yeah. you know, as you get 30 years out, 40 years out, some of these things are going to be forgotten by society. So I feel like what we've been able to do with this podcast is just at least shine a light on some of this stuff. Hopefully it's yeah. made it a little funnier for people when we talk about these cultural <laughs> references. It's like, hey, oh, that's really what they're talking about. I know there's one line, for example, in The Honeymooners that always puts a, gives me a chuckle. There's this one episode when Alice's sister gets married and Ralph she says that uh, it's like she's been wanting to get married so long that when she threw her bouquet, she ran and caught it herself, right? <laughs> and Alice says, oh, oh, Ralph, you know, her foot slipped. And he goes, this is her foot slipped. It's like, I was like, I'd like to have my uh, foot slipped that way. It's like, I'd be playing center field for the New York Giants. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and what he's actually referring to is the New York Giants baseball team. A few years after that episode aired, the Giants moved to San Francisco in California. Today, someone hearing the New York Giants would think of the football team. So it's, yeah. it's, it's a very different thing. But the thing is, you know, when I was a kid, I was still aware, I did watch some baseball. I was more aware of the fact that the Giants baseball team originally was in New York and had moved to California. So I still got the joke. Today, it's like you'd literally have to like pause it and give a kid a history lesson to explain to them, this is what they're talking about baseball. They're not talking about football. That's the threat, I would say, with any of these shows. It's like as the more time goes on, things do become a lot more dated. For example, even in season one, Peggy, uh, Peggy Sue... Uh, Peggy Sue got work. Pe Peggy Sue got work. She's talking about a VCR. <laughs> you know, I mean, mm -hmm. the whole thing you know, revolves around a VCR. Those are now obsolete. I mean, I doubt most children today would know what to do with a VCR. Yeah. You know, and again, and even 10 years from now, I mean, it, it just might be like uh, uh, some, uh, some little novelty they'll see in a museum. Hmm. Sorry, Annabelle. <laughs> I still have one. Yes. <laughs> but you notice what, uh, about this pilot, there are no cultural references at all, except for the bulls. Correct. I think that's the only thing that's that's mentioned. So, and just uh, doing this podcast the last couple of years, we've looked up and look. We know a lot of the stuff, but we've looked up to check, you know, so much stuff, and just it's just it, is, it has increased, especially season nine, I suppose onwards. Yeah, if you go back to the very beginning, very little. I mean, all that dates it is the quality. Uh, like the picture quality, the literal picture quality of the episode and then the actors and <laughs> all the styling and everything. But yeah, there's, there's nothing except the bulls that's really mentioned unless you don't know who John Henry is. Right. And we did cover that. Yes. Uh, recently. Uh, there, there was that Disney film talking about, you know, John Henry uh, driving a uh, with a hammer, he was able to, uh, I, I guess, work faster than like a steam shovel, like uh, going through a, a mountain, like you know, uh, carving out like a rock in a mountain. So <laughs> that was, I thought, pretty funny. Again, something that's lost, you know, because it's like, who today, which kid today, I feel like would understand if they heard that John Henry line, what, 
you know, what does that really refer to? And then if you go back to the cartoon, you'll, you could see that as an example. The only other uh, cultural or pop cultural reference is Stephen Eadie. Yes. When Al <laughs> asks what Stephen Marcy's last name is, and he says gourmet. And Steve is Steve Lawrence, and many people would actually remember him, younger people. I think from the 60s, they know that they were a uh, singing team. People who are slightly younger would remember him as Maury Sline from uh, the Blues Brothers. Oh, yes. Yes. He played that character. That's how he's known to younger people. He also played Fran's dad in the last season of The Nanny, when they finally gave him a face. <laughs> Morty! Morty Fine, right, yeah. yeah. And Sylvia, right, that was, was the mother's uh, character's name. Yeah. Also, and she was in The Producers as well. She played Eva Braun. Oh, she was, yes. Yeah. Don't forget, this show was in, had a working title of Not the Cosbys. I wasn't sure if I was going to mention that or not, knowing what we know now about Cosby, but we're talking about the show. So, yeah, so all these 80s sitcoms, they were a response to the shows we've talked about, you know, like All in the Family from the, the, the Norman Lear-esque shows from the 70s and then the 80s book back in response to that, the, the more wholesome family thing. Then that started to get tired. So when a show like Married to Children comes along, people are going to sit up and take notice and, and like you say, oh, this is different and it's unexpected and it's turned it on its head. And I think that's why Roseanne was so popular as well, arguably more so. But if don't forget, Roseanne was considered for Married to Children. And if we talked about Bundyology before... And there's a, a page there uh, as a bit of a joke. It's got the original Bundys, question mark. And it's got Sam Kinison, Roseanne, and the two kids from the unhaired pilot. So that could have been a cast. <laughs> Somebody's tentative plan slash fantasy. So that, again, could have been an even different show. Would it have worked? I personally don't think so. <laughs> But again, it's interesting. I'm very glad we got the cast that we did. And it certainly works very well. And yeah, to say that you give it a five, it doesn't surprise me at all. So the one thing to the people out there that talk about Roseanne, what you always heard in the press was how revolutionary it was. And to me, mm. the injustice that was done by not giving credit to this show to Married with Children for being groundbreaking. Like they, again, they they deserved a lot more accolades for bringing that formula out, you know, sort of turning yes. <laughs> things around because it was like, for some reason or other, they liked Roseanne, which I've never been able to understand. Like, like what, Like what was really the difference? And I did watch Roseanne in its early seasons. What is it that... I could never figure out, and maybe maybe some of you can comment on this. What made Roseanne get the accolades and this show not get accolades? Because this show came first. They were the first ones mm. to do it this way. And to me, like that's the reason why they deserve the accolades. Because it's like all of a sudden somebody does it and everybody starts to copy. I mean, that's one of yes. the things that even... I remember Rich Scheidner in the interview had said, it's like, by the time we got to 1997, it's like there were plenty of copycats out there. So, 
You know, the show had to continually evolve. Comedy continues to continue to evolve. Like, in other words, what was popular from comedy in 1986, 1987, a decade later, had evolved and a new forms of comedy had come out. But that to me is, that's the injustice. I mean, Seinfeld was also revolutionary. I mean, just to talk about another show, again, similar as well. Like that, There was a show where you had characters who never really got nicer, quote unquote, They were pretty much frozen, and if anything, they made the people around them worse, right? Yeah. Oh, they're awful people. Yeah. (laughs) They caused people who were in harmony to go into disharmony. (laughs) And to me, it's like, well, this was the first show that I could say that I saw where that happened consistently. Yeah. I see people on Facebook who say that Seinfeld changed television. I'm like, yeah. Right. And again, it's not because we're, and the thing is, it's like, I'm not saying that because I'm a married with children super fan. I'm saying I'm a married with children super fan because that's what happened. And that is the history. And I don't want history to be rewritten. So, I mean, I think that (laughs) this whole podcast has been really just a tribute to our favorite show. And it's like, we just want to make sure that it's remembered properly. Absolutely. You have to include a clip of Katie Seagal at... Roseanne's roast in 2012, where she says literally what you said. It's great to see Roseanne back in the spotlight. Thank you. I mean, you know, technically it's two spotlights, but you get the idea. (laughs) Roseanne was a trailblazing comedy icon who created the character of an irreverent, smart-talking mom that no one had ever seen since I did it on Married with Children the year before. That Roseanne was a, like the character was a pioneer who did this, 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 and this, uh, that nobody had seen before, except the year before when I did it on Married with Children. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar with the roast. Oh, it's, it's good. It's just interesting that A, uh, Katie Seagull was at this roast. I wasn't even aware that they knew each other, but sure, why not? And interesting that because uh, Michael Moy from his um, the the uh, you know the American Television Emmys interviews on YouTube, he says that they were aware of Roseanne's stand-up routine. So she had this whole domestic goddess routine, which was then you know it was new, it was unique, and it was very funny. And that's that might have been what they thought of as part of the show and then they had to act quickly to then get a show in a similar vein up and running because Roseanne as a comic was becoming very uh, popular. So uh, he's, and then Moy is not sure whether Roseanne was actually approached or not about married with children. If she was, he wasn't aware of it. It wasn't exactly him, but that was certainly in their minds. And they, they, of course, were big fans of, Sam Kinison. So it's sort of this idea of what if these two types of people were married to each other and then they had this the bare bones of a script kind of thing laid out from there. And that's, I mean, and that's fair. But but what I'm just saying is, but the fact that they got it out on television sooner. I yes. mean, and that's, I think, yes. like, it's almost like, it's like one started to amplify the other, which then amplified the other. Like, it just, it was almost like a ping pong effect. Mm. I'll give them that, but I mean, but I think, but the truth of the matter is that this is the first thing, like this type of comedy came out. And again, even if we go back to It's Your Move, Mm. which I did see, 
I have an older sister who was a big fan of Jason Bateman. So, the, so she actually wanted to watch that show because of that. And again, and you're talking about 1984. And I just thought it was funny. So, the, you know, the fact that I sort of got it then as well. Mm. You know, I mean, it was a different type of character. It was a very conniving, you know, kid. That's something new on television. Like you didn't really, I mean, he was a, was a con artist you know, effectively, mm. right? <laughs> that was... Again, something fresh, something different. Because, again, that was really during the heyday of Cosby. Cosby was like 82, if I'm not mistaken. And I remember the premiere of Cosby show as well. So the fact that here, here is this uh, con artist type of kid, and then all of a sudden you know, that evolves to married with children. I mean, again, are they influencing each other? I, I wouldn't doubt it. But really, I, I feel like married with children should have gotten its accolades for having been a pioneer in this space. So Yeah. That's the last uh, I'll say on this. Yeah, I, I I think maybe it's an anti-Fox thing. It wasn't it wasn't the cool, real networks. So the the actual networks at the time got all the press and and like the cast have said, especially Christina again, she says that Marriage of Children was like the black sheep of television. But you know we can <laughs> discuss that and uh, forever. But yeah, it's very interesting to see Katie Skull, who looks smoking, by the way. At the Roseanne Roast in 2012. So is that it? I think that's it. I'm just looking at the wiki page. There's a note here that Al says he makes minimum wage. The minimum wage in Illinois at the time this episode was filmed and air was $2.30. So <laughs> assuming that Al works 40 hours a week, he makes $92 before taxes. And that's $4,784 per year. And Matt's, <laughs> Matt's not here, so I can't do the... The, the translation to today's money. <laughs> Just uh, double that. Yeah. <laughs> mm, it's not much. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the fact, again, television logic, they're able to at least own a home. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a home like that. I mean, he, he was lucky if he could afford a cardboard box, <laughs> even, in, even in 1987. Mm. Yeah, um, I mean, if we, we ever, if we continue on getting interviews... I mean, there's a lot just on the pilot. We could ask David Garrison, for instance, you know, from his It's Your Move onwards to a, to a role that was written for him. But, you know, do we reach out to the original children? I mean, Tina Caspery and Christina Applegate, they even knew each other. I think the Christina said once that they used to dance together. And there wasn't much else said about that, but there could have been some awkwardness there or... And I think Faustino says that he was in the original rounds of auditions, uh, made it through a couple of stages, but didn't obviously didn't get the part. But then when the role reopened, his mother sent him in again. It was like, oh, they, might, they probably don't remember you, just go in. <laughs> so <laughs> either whether or not that's true, I'm not sure. They just remembered him or they did a complete new casting from beginning with a, 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 an open call or, or, or what or – yeah, because we don't know when these scenes were reshot. That's that's something I would I would like to know. But the rest, you know, it's pretty much as we see it. So, and uh, speaking to Rich as as well was pretty awesome. I'm sorry I didn't get to speak to him. I, I mean, to me, like uh, just the fact that I was able to like speak to Moye and speak to Rich and almost everyone we've interviewed, even if even for just a few seconds, has been like mm. the most surreal thing that's probably ever happened to me. Yeah, I mean, who could have predicted that we we pick up? I mean, I 
thought it was pretty awesome that Alex could get in touch with Amanda Burse and then the guys interviewed her. I thought, oh, this is cool. This won't be topped. And then we took over the podcast. It's like, okay, what are we going to do? We just continue on reviewing the episodes. Then we start to put the feelers out a little bit. And then... Uh, that was And that was all Chris. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need our friendly Chris to approach people. I, I found Jennifer Lyons on Instagram and I said, here, you, you, you approach her, not me. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so things started to escalate. And then never in my wildest dreams would I be talking to the creator of this pilot. Never. That's amazing. And like I said, I mean, to me, like you, you, in my mind, you were the only person who could talk to him oh. intelligently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's arguable whether or not I did that. But yeah, I mean, I think openly weeping at the man was um, yeah, warranted, I suppose, for me. <laughs> no, def- definitely warranted. But, you know, <laughs> as uh, as even he said you're the walking library right <laughs> uh, i'm the de- I'm, I'm a degenerate right and uh <laughs> nine-year-old and <laughs> from the from actually from actually i take that as a compliment the most degenerate oh, yeah. character on the show calling me a degenerate so <laughs> uh it's, it's almost like i'm like a peg lower than him it's like wow <laughs> <laughs> and looking at this pilot he was even <laughs> more degenerate than yeah. <laughs> And the thing is, you know, had they kept the, to me, that original dialogue in, it still would have worked. Hmm. You know, I, like I said, it's just a question of like, where would they have taken it? And uh, to me, it's like, had the Luke Ventura character remained in the shoe store, it's like, I could have seen, he would probably have been almost like, well, if you look at Griff later in seasons nine and 10 and 11, it's like, you had certain episodes where he was just a recurring character. Like, you know, he, he was in one character, he was in a, in an episode and then he didn't appear for two episodes because they stayed in the house and then they went back to the shoe store for something. And I could have seen Luke that way, but I also understand that Luke, the way he was written was very one dimensional. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how effective could that Luke character have been after a couple of seasons? Yeah. Right. I mean, like, cause like, you know, I mean, I sort of mentioned earlier, it's like, what would have been, what would have no man have been like? I, I can't see him sort of being like one of the guys. I mean, he was just sort of with the girls all the time, quote yeah. unquote, right? So uh, I can understand character development there not being an issue. And even in season eight, when we talked about the experimentation with Aaron or Dexter, it's like Harold Sylvester as Griff really works because, you know, you have a lot of material you can work with with a divorcee, mm. right? <laughs> the unmarried characters, they don't work, really. When right. Marcy was single, she started to get annoying. So Correct. <laughs> had to marry her up again. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So just some notes on the production. So we've talked yep. about how we've noticed, for example, there were a lot of women involved. Michael Moy did say that the characters, as they developed, weren't really like the the product of like all men. But I mean, just look, it's like the episode, the pi- the unaired pilot, and I believe even the pilot episode was directed by Linda Day. Executive story mm-hmm. editors, Sandy Sprung and Marcy Vosberg. Now, Jerry Cohen was the associate director, so he sort of graduated to director on the show as time went on. This is production associate, Kitty Rourke. So, I mean, you get to see, it's like there was, this was really like an ensemble work. Because I think like Married with Children really had the reputation of being a men's sitcom, 
Right. Which I think even Katie Segal had mentioned that in, uh, in one of the interviews. I think it was the 2003 retrospective. How it was like, oh, yes. traditionally men didn't like sitcoms, but they love this show. But realized that women had a very prominent role in this as well. And mm. I mean, even though like mm. the pilot was written by Moye and Levitt, as we start to see, and as we've spoke about since the days of Alex, all the way through now over the last six years, you know, there were there's a lot of female involvement in this. So that uh, is a testament to like, you know, good show. I mean, again, you know, good comedy writing comes from anyone. You know, good production comes from anyone. It's just a matter of giving people a chance. And I think that Moy and Levitt really deserve a lot of credit for that, giving people chances. Definitely. Everybody knows that this was aired on the first night of Fox's prime time with the Tracy Orban show. And it aired three times that night. That's right. Uh, speaking of reunions, they showed the pilot, the, the, the proper pilot, for the for Fox's 25th anniversary in 2012, in April. Part of me hopes that they might have shown the unaired pilot. That might have been a, an interesting publicity angle, but no, just showing the, the actual pilot was probably enough for people who hadn't seen it. Um, and what I can tell you, Annabelle, about that personally is I did watch the pilot twice that night. As I recall, it aired at 7, 8, and 9 p.m., so mm-hmm. like they sort of, they they kept repeating it. I did not. I remember specific, You know, ask me why. I just remember I did not watch it at seven o'clock because it was too early uh, in the evening. But I did watch it at eight o'clock, and I loved it so much because I think it was like eight o'clock. Then I think it was Tracy Ullman at eight thirty. That I had to watch it again at nine. I was so taken with it, and the first airing, again as a young kid, like I sort of got the joke. I understood the construct. I thought it was funny how, you know, sort of Steve, who I had seen in It's Your Move. So I, he was the only person I was familiar with of the cast because I did I did watch It's Your Move. And the fact that we saw like the descent of man <laughs> with him, it's like, again, they came in all lovey-dovey and they came out like arguing. I, I sort of caught that. I was like, hey, that's something really different. This is something different and it's something really special because I, I, what I could say is you were just flooded with typical sitcoms. I mean, you just watched the same thing over and over again. You had different, for example, different strokes. And then the clone of different strokes was Webster, right? You had Arnold, Mm. you know, you had Arnold, you had Webster. I mean, they were almost identical Mm. in the same types of plot lines. And it's like, oh, well, this is your son. I mean, this is like a, you know, interracial family, right? And you had the, you know, let's say like the, the rich white father and it was like the poor black kid from the streets. You know, there was there were so many parallels. And you had shows that had all of these parallels, whether it was Family Ties or Family Matters or well, what was the other one uh, with the Seavers? Uh, hold on. Oh, Growing Pains. Growing Pains. I mean, they, they were all so, so similar. And yeah. you know, it had gotten to a point for me by 1987 that I could turn the TV on. And if it, even if it was a new episode, once you understood what the plot was, you already knew what the ending was going to be. <laughs> Whether you're watching yeah. Punky Brewster, <laughs> right? <laughs> or you're watching any of them. So it's like I had gotten, I, the way I can describe it is I had gotten so tired because it's like there was nothing 
on that I hadn't seen before. So for me, yeah. really seeing that the TV guide that week and the line that they used was, this is a TV show where father doesn't know best. And actually, Al says that line in the pilot. This is like, trust me, I'm your husband. I know best. And having seen that in April of 1987, seeing it and all of a sudden saying, it's like, hey, wait a minute, this is something different. I wasn't expecting that at the end. That's what really enticed me to watch the show. I'm just curious, Annabelle, like, what was it for you that really enticed you to see it? Because, I mean, I know that you actually saw it after I did, and you didn't necessarily see it from the pilot. No, because uh, <laughs> when this aired, I would have been four years old. What troubles me is I can't remember exactly the first episode I ever saw, but I was fairly young, so I could have been six, seven, eight, whatever it was. It started airing here in, I think, late 1990 or 89 onwards i think but because uh, I, w- I then went back and watched episodes and i think oh i swear i've seen this before but i was just too young didn't really take it in but i always liked the show and then it wasn't until i was you know a little bit older i think you know 11 12 i saw it again because i was beholden to australian schedule so it wasn't on regularly enough for me to sit down and, and watch it but they would then air it for a time after school and I would run home from school to actually catch it. And because so I remember seeing it that way and there was something that kept bringing me back. I couldn't really tell you what it was, but I just loved the show. We had other Australian sitcoms, some of, and we got a lot of the American stuff as well. I didn't really watch a lot of the, you know, the Cosby show, Growing Pains and Family Ties and all that. I watched a bit, but I, it again, it just didn't, appeal to me as much as this show but I sort of watched a lot of them I even watched Full House occasionally I think because it was on <laughs> again they did like that sort of more wholesome stuff but when Married to Children came on I always I always watched it and then I started going out of my way to watch it and then it was off for a while and then it came back and, and then you know in 96 97 we got cable tv and it came back and I saw that show listed and I was like, oh my God, it's on, it's on. We we must get this cable and please let us have this channel. And then it got on. That was the first thing I watched and it was like 10 o'clock at night <laughs> and they were showing the end of season three. And I'm thinking, oh, I've seen some of this before. And then I watched it and I sat there and I'm like, fuck, I love this show because it was the humor. I really, I, I like you, I got the joke even though I was older, but um, see how old was I, 13, 14? And so I just, I watched it and I went, this is inspired. It's different. It's my, it's my sort of humor. It's not cheesy, I think was a big point. A lot of the shows that they used to show, I'm, I'm talking sitcoms and um, in general, they're just cheesy as hell and they would always finish and, and like, cheesily, but like with Married to Children, it was nothing but laughs, literally. They never did serious storylines or serious things and I, I'm not saying I hate that or anything because it does work in other shows but with Married to Children it was laugh 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 so when the very very odd occasion they did not have a laugh if you say for example in season four when Steve loses his job the beginning of act one doesn't end on a laugh or applause it just fades to black and Steve having just lost his job that that sticks out because it was the exception to the rule correct so it was really the humour of the show is what kept bringing me back. 
And then when I got older and I started to appreciate, oh, this casting is inspired, the humor is it's so it's well written, it's genuinely funny. And then my parents who would see me watch it because I watched it so often and they would come in and watch it and they just happened to be in the room. And then when they started laughing as well, and, you know, my parents, they have a combined IQ of 8,000 and so sometimes they watch, you know, um, they grew up and introduced me to and made me grow up on the 70s uh, British sitcoms. So I grew up on Faulty Towers. So <laughs> I don't know if that has much yeah. to do with it at all. But, you know, the slight, they go for the slightly more high-end intelligent humor. And when I see them laughing at Meredith Children as well, I think, okay, this is a really clever joke. And, yeah, it just, it, it just grew from there. But it was always the humor that brought me back in the first instance. You know, my... Just my my little story about my parents, which I talked about in uh, 25 years and what do you get, was the, (laughs) my parents groaned. To this day, they still groan whenever they hear me mention married with children. And I don't don't really mention much in front of them because part of it is their English is somewhat limited, so they don't get it all the time. But they just knew that from when I was a kid, like this literally became the show that I had to watch. And no matter where we were, we had to get home. Because I I did not have a VCR that I knew how to program to record. (laughs) So I always watched these things live. And it was usually like 9 o'clock on a Sunday night. And it's like I literally – I remember – like being at my grandmother's house, like 7.30. And she lived like not too far away, but there was usually traffic. It's like, we need to go home now. I was like, why can't we stay a few more minutes? It's like, married with children's on at 9. I got to get home by 9. And Mm -hmm. I just drove them absolutely insane. And, you know, on their, the, the one, like I said, the one memory that I'll always have is on their 25th wedding anniversary, the show had already, was already in syndication and it just so happened, we were going to go out to a restaurant. It was probably like six o'clock at night. This is July. That was 1998. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I just saw it. It's like, oh, well, here it is. Let me just watch an episode before we go. And it just so happened that night that it was 25 years and what do you get? And like, I called my dad into the room. I was like, dad, you got to watch this. You got to watch this. And I remember like, he just like came in. He's like, what is this? Like, he's like Al Bundy again. It's like, I had this like look of disgust. I was like, dad, it's their 25th wedding anniversary. So like piqued his interest. I remember as he walked in, like he sort of flicked his hand almost like, if you can imagine, it's like he flicked his hand. He's like, oh God, you know, like, like this again, like almost like, like whacking it away. And within a minute, like, and I remember the scene was when Al comes in and he says, hey kids, look what I uh, rented for $3. And he's got the, uh, (laughs) the bug, um, what is it, the... When he, like when he turns around, he has the, the extermination company uh, logo on, on the back of it. And he just like busted out laughing and sort of like listening to that. And I think that by that point, then like, I think my mom came in and my sisters were just like laughing. And he's just like, looking at me and he's like, yeah, that's true. That's what this is. That's what marriage after 25 years is like. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like for, for him to actually just like acknowledge it. I just thought it was funny. Like some of those little ironies. But um, that to me is, is what this has been about. And I mean, for all of our podcast listeners, you know, we appreciate it. Again, we were fans of the podcast too. It just so happened we ended up becoming uh, co-hosts. But um, I mean, that's what this has been about. And this is what the journey has been about, which is what Alex said. You know, if you listen to the early uh, episodes of the podcast and we encourage you all to go back, Alex kept talking about the journey and it has been one hell of a journey. 
And this is, we thought, uh, Annabelle and I thought this would be a nice little end cap to the episode reviews. So we hope you've enjoyed it. Yeah, I certainly have. And it's nice that it's just the two of us. I can't think of anybody else I would want to, to do this with. So, yeah, thank you for listening. Well, thank you. And like I said, I've said to you more than once, Annabelle, it's really been an honor to have been done to have done this with you. I mean, I thought I was a huge Married with Children fan. And then I found you on the Internet, you know, 20 plus years ago. And I'm like, damn, like, you know, (laughs) she's the queen, like bow down to the queen. And uh, the fact that I got the opportunity to work with you on this has been one of the thrills of my life. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. And, uh, you know, it's reciprocated. No Ma'am will be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. All right. So do we want to rate this one? Uh, Yeah. Do we have a rating? Yeah. I would say that uh, how many times do we want to pummel men's scrotums? (laughs) 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 So take it away, Annabelle. (laughs) luckily i'm on the other side of the world so i don't have to wear a cup (laughs) i i do buy juice by the way oh you know that's great to know maybe we should have william on right it's like what how much juice does she buy you right (laughs) what flavors (laughs) Uh, it's just orange juice at the moment So, I'm in two minds almost. I say that because as a pilot, I mean, we're used to the original pilots and I know I certainly am. And as a pilot for a TV show and as a pilot of Married with Children, I give it a five. Because we're talking about the unaired pilots, there's not much in there that would make me change my rating Except this big switcheroo of two of the characters, both of whom became very integral to the show. So I appreciate that they made this change, but we're talking about the original pilot. And without specifying why, I can see why they made this the the this the switch. So with that in mind, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the the unaired original pilot a four and a half instead of five because I still love it I'm not used to it it's very jarring as I said I don't think the kids were I'm being fair here I don't think they were terrible but the the Bud Bundy character didn't work for me at all and he reminds me too much of a cousin Oliver and b7 <laughs> and Kelly as a character doesn't work as a brunette. So, and you know, later on, and it's pretty clear that she became the definitive blonde bimbo. But in the pilot, and even for season two, she's not much of a bimbo at all. But she's 
you could see it was it was going to become that. So in the pilot, yeah, I, I can see how the kids didn't work without really saying anything too intelligent on that. But uh, what should have been kept, which wasn't, is the whole PMS exchange. Perhaps censorship, perhaps time, perhaps... I, I reckon it was a, a Fox censor saying you can only do so much. But that whole exchange, having been rediscovered later does pump up this episode as an unaired as a separate episode from the pilot it's got <laughs> it's a little bit different but it's got enough in there for me to sit up and say okay that's funny so um, i still love it as a pilot as i get again i say the the main scene which is the crux of the episode with the the new couple and the old couple it still works you see nothing much has changed there at all they went in strong the chemistry between the actors is defined the roles are certainly well defined with the adults i'm glad they changed up luke i would even deduct half a point for making luke sleazier again but because i love the show so damn much i can't really go too much lower than that so if i was looking at the if i was going back in time and and reviewing the pilot as we know it i i automatically give it five stars and then i'd find reasons why it can't be five stars Looking at the original unaired pilots, I can only give it four and a half at most. I'd even say four to four and a half, but it's a tricky one to rate. I'll be very curious to see what you say. Well, I mean, before I I give you my thoughts on it, I want to ask you the question another way. Mm. Had you never seen Married with Children, Mm. and this is the first thing that you ever saw, would that change your rating? Because I'm saying like, you know... And I sort of understand. It's like, I think to any fans out there, they're going to view it in light of what they've seen, in light of what they know the characters became, in light of Christina and David taking over those parts. But had you never seen it, any of that, and you had just seen this, would that have changed your rating from a four and a half to a five? Possibly. I did think about that, and I think it might have. Obviously, we can't know for sure. But the kids' parts being what they were, they're not they're not huge parts and they're they're mo- they're mostly props at this point. It's about this married couple, they've got kids, they're brats, they ask for money. Yeah. And they did their job. So possibly is the answer. I'm just not sure about Luke. Okay. No, that's fair. Hmm. I mean for myself, and the reason why I asked the question is because I think that we all get tainted by seeing something a certain way. I know I'm a big fan of, for example, Back to the Future film. And, you know, as the years have gone by, we've seen clips of Eric Stoltz playing Marty McFly. And there's like one of the rumors out there is that uh, a lot of the film, the 1950s portion of the film, was shot with Eric Stoltz. So perhaps in some universal vault, there's a, you know, you might be able to make a new cut of the film with the Eric Stoltz version right? And Mm. people always will rate it against the Michael J. Fox version of it, because it is so great. But it's like, what would it have looked like had it been done a different way? And I know that there's, you know, through the years, you've seen like director's cuts that have come out or alternate. Like, for example, in Superman 2, Richard Donner cut is very different than the actual theatrical release. I'm trying to remember the name of the, the director. Is it jarring to not see, like, again, I've talked about, yeah, I mean, 
you know, Hunter Carson as Bud Bundy and Tina Caspery as Kelly Bundy. I mean, they have slightly different interpretation. Their interpretation is sort of the best you can get because they didn't have a reference point. I mean, it just makes you wonder, did David and Christina, for example, see that? <laughs> you know, maybe did they play it for them? And maybe, uh, again, you know, let's say Michael Moy and, and Ron Levitt sort of polish up the um, their reactions or how, like the stance. Like we said, we like how Tina Caspery, she's sort of standing over the couch, you know, with her hand out to get the money, right? Like, was that further mm-hmm. refined? So it's it's kind of hard to do that. But it's like, you know, we're looking at the final version with the actors that we have always been accustomed to. So what is it like when you see something without those people and others playing that part? So you're always going to go back and forth. But to me, I think that if I had seen this on its own, I still would have given it a five. I mean, it's natural for me to analyze it in lieu of seeing the aired pilot, in lieu of seeing, having seen 11 seasons, to say, yeah, I mean, I can see the, d- the differences. Maybe I don't like this aspect that can, uh, of, of how the characters played this or this aspect of the dialogue, but I still think it's very, very strong. But what I can truly say is I think it's really the, the final part, part when the four adults are on the couch. That is, I think, what really got it for me more than anything. It's like seeing really that Steve character. Steve and Marcy who come in, and you said it perfectly, Annabelle, I couldn't express it properly. It's like they come in in harmony and they leave in disharmony. And that was very radically different than everything that was on TV at the time. So, I mean, I think that if this had been the aired pilot and if, you know, if history had gone a different way, I still would have been a fan of the show. Would the chemistry have continued? I mean, that's I mean that's one of those rhetorical questions that could go up that could go on. But I think you're right. The dumb blonde trope works much better for Kelly. Had Hunter Carson remained as Bud Bundy as a blonde, I mean that could have maybe worked with two siblings that are blonde, perhaps. And I said I don't think that they did anything wrong. It's just the interpretation. But I do think that Moy got something. When he talked about, you know, like David, David Faustino having those uh, a spawn of Satan eyes, I think like you know, <laughs> Kelly, as interpreted by Christina, was much more sarcastic, and I think that that really worked. And especially again, as you said, their props in this episode. You, you go f- ahead a few episodes when they really have dialogue, then I can sort of see how it works. And and like you know, as we said, that PMS slide. I mean, the fact that Christina remembers that 35 years later and nobody else does because only only the people who were there would remember it and people like us who discover things like, or either discover or analyze uh, things like the unaired pilot, we're the only ones who know about this stuff, right? Like that is, it's a testament to the writing. So, I mean, kudos to Moy and Levitt for putting this together. So that's my thing. So I will give this a five. And I give both the unaired and the aired pilot fives for that reason. Very good. All right. So we do not have a uh, episode to review next week, although um, depending on when this episode airs, uh, you may hear the series wrap up, probably most likely, and that's coming up. So uh, just keep tuning in. I mean, for those of you, uh, if this is the final episode in our... uh, Canon? Yeah, in the the canon, uh, just... Please go back to the beginning and listen to it all over again at your leisure. And remember, it will always be on the same Bundy channel. At the same Bundy time.
Good day and good night. Whoa, Bundy. Thank you.